Uh, but we're really proud to say that, you know, we have brought async, self-custodial, static addresses to mobile on Lightning. And while a lot of people aren't thrilled about how the mechanics work under the hood, uh, we're really excited for people to work with to help us develop better solutions and to help bring this onto people's radars. I feel a lot of the people working on protocol stuff on the Lightning Network, they're brilliant. I really am grateful for a lot of the work they do, uh, but they really have not been listening to demands from users. I think a lot of users have been demanding this sort of functionality. They finally have it, they're using it, and they're actually willing to pay a premium for it, which is really encouraging. So let's keep building and let's keep iterating on this because this sort of workflow with a Lightning address receiving and being able to do so in an async manner and especially doing it self-custodially like there's no coming back from this this is now this is the new Mm -hmm. bar and now we have to build on top of this and see how we can make it better and scale it up even more All right. Welcome, Evan. How are you doing, man? Can you hear hey, us okay? Hey, not too bad, Juan. You can hear me? <clears throat> yeah, you're All good. Right. You're good. Yeah, I'm very excited to be on awesome. the show today and talk a little Zeus, talk some self-custodial lightning. Uh, a lot of exciting stuff going yes, on. That's right. We're going to do a, a full deep dive into lightning. And I just listened to your uh, podcast with uh, Odell and... Uh, <laughs> That was uh, super interesting. So, uh, yeah, that was yeah, I can't wait. To, yeah, yeah, I can't wait to kind of get into all these uh, topics and maybe you know go into a little more detail, but also introduce the audience that might not be familiar with some of these concepts. So, I mean, we're gonna go uh, deep into the lighting world, you know, which helps people obviously uh, pay less fees in Bitcoin. The fees are pretty high these days, but I mean, you gotta have some Bitcoin uh, before you can spend it. So, um, for any fellow Canadians out there. Um, there is, uh, there's a really good way to get Bitcoin in Canada called Beaver Bitcoin. Uh, Beaver Bitcoin is Canada's most user-friendly Bitcoin on-ramp. Uh, you can buy Bitcoin instantly, set up reoccurring purchases directly from your bank account. And it, Bitcoin, Beaver Bitcoin is not custodial. So they'll send it directly to your off-chain wallet, your cold storage wallet, uh, so that you have full control. And uh, it's built by Bitcoiners for Bitcoiners. And it's easy enough that you can recommend it to your family and friends. So, um, yeah, it's a pretty awesome exchange. Sign up today at beaverbitcoin.com. And uh, we also, you know, this conversation that we're having right now is being recorded, of course. And we're, we, I, I edit them and I publish them on my podcast feed at juangal.com. We've had a ton of amazing guests trying to cover the cutting edge of Bitcoin and um, really advance the conversation. And also keep people kind of up to date with everything that's going on so we can be more... Uh, more engaged, you know, I think it's a very interesting time uh, in the Bitcoin story because we're, we're kind of leveling up, aren't we? So, um, yeah, you check that out at uh, juangal.com or just look up uh, the Juangal show on your favorite podcast app. Uh, so, yeah, without, without that out of the way, um, Evan, you guys, uh, you guys just launched a new version of Zeus. I'm using it. I'm playing with it. Uh, I'm, I've kind of out of principle, This, you know, decided when lightning started to kind of come on board that I was never going to run a lightning node. Like I'm just like, I I, I don't want to manage channels. I just want an app 
that's easy to use and that gives me self-custody. And I've, I've played with a lot of lighting apps, but I just on principle refuse to manage lighting channels. And so it seems like Zeus has actually found a, uh, a kind of big breakthrough uh, from the, that user experience perspective. Um, and I uh, can't wait to hear about it. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the vision of, of Zeus, how you got, like why you decided to build it and uh, maybe tell us about the, the latest update. Yeah, sure thing. So Zeus started a long time ago now, uh, five and a half years ago, I would say. And it started first and foremost as a app for people who did set up those lightning nodes that were doing the channel management, uh, you know, just around the time lightning started taking off. And uh, I was working uh not in the field of Bitcoin, but in cybersecurity. And I had set up a lightning node at home and I just wanted to be able to, uh, A, first just check in on my node, see how it was doing, uh, if I routed any payments, if my channels were okay. And then B, in the back of my head, I knew, okay, this lightning thing, the real perks of it are going to be actualized with these real world transactions. You know, like when you're at the grocery store and you don't want to wait for a, a transaction to settle on chain in 10 minutes plus. Uh, so I set out to build out the wallet. And over the last five and a half years, we've become the go-to way for people who have these nodes, these umbrellas, these start nines, these BTC pays, these Raspi Blitz nodes at home to connect remotely. Uh, so we set out to expand the wallet and make it a proper Bitcoin wallet standalone this year. And that's what we've released this past uh, or, or the previous Monday. So this new version is now on all the app stores. It's cross-platform. So it's on iOS and on Android. And you get basically the full Zeus experience that you would uh, if you were a remote node operator. But now you have a node in your pocket. So you actually have some optionality now. If you're someone like Juan and you don't want to deal with the headache of managing your own channels, well, we got you covered. You'll just get connected through our LSP called Olympus, and you'll never have to worry about you know managing channels, rebalancing them, any of that. If you're connected to Olympus, you're going to be able to make payments basically anywhere on the Lightning Network. But for the more hardcore users that maybe have bars, restaurants, uh, brick-and-mortar stores that they frequent, well, you also have the ability to open up individual channels to all your favorite destinations and stores as well as your friends and family. So we really think that the new version of Zeus is very super easy to use and accessible, but it also is very empowering with all the functionality that we give to our users. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, hey, everybody, if, uh, please pump the show, share the link a little bit. And if you have any questions, uh, drop them in the comments of this thread, you know, that little button on the, on the bottom right. And uh, if you have any questions for even or me, uh, or for Aaron or me, uh, just drop them in there. Um, yeah, I, I, love, I love the new update. Um, it seems like you guys are covering a, a pretty wide range of use cases or kind of like, you know, the, the noobs and the, the experts. Um, and uh, the user interface is about, a, about as easy to use as it could get. I mean, I can't imagine, uh, you know, like it just you just open it and you're good to go pretty much. And setting up the node is pretty easy. So um, I've been a pretty big fan of Phoenix up until this point. I feel like Zeus is finally like like this, <laughs> this version of Zeus is like, OK, now there's an actually finally a contender to Phoenix. Thank you. Um, thank you. 
Yeah. So um, tell us a little bit about about that. You know, I think this comparison has been made uh, before recently. Um, what are you What are you looking to improve upon the the the, 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 the Lightning Network mobile, you know, casual user experience? Um, you know, and, and when you look at the competition, where is it that you guys are really trying to sort of uh, move? move the ball forward so we think first and foremost uh well well we're really flattered by this comparison to phoenix and i think credit where credit is due i think that the phoenix wallet even today is uh still the best user experience in the game right now where users still hold their own keys and have a great lightning experience they've done a fantastic job uh and we hope to uh compete with the best of the best we want to give phoenix a run for their money And we think we're getting pretty damn close with the latest version of Zeus. Um, their wallet might be a little faster when starting up. Uh, albeit there's a trade-off there with how we get our block data versus them. Get into that in a bit. Um, but, uh, you know, all in all, I think Phoenix is the gold standard. But like you said, we're hoping to give them ample competition and honestly push them and others who are competing in the space who also have great wallets uh, to ultimately just, you know, give the users the best experience as possible. And I think through competition, uh, we're going to just unlock all sorts of amazing user experiences and, you know, facilitate the onboarding of the next wave of Bitcoiners. So we're, we're just very honored to be in the discussion, uh, but we still know we have a lot more work to do despite having a lot of unique qualities that in some ways are, you know, uh, different and better than Phoenix. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I think you're definitely, you guys are definitely in discussion now. And uh, I think you've been kind of a, a rising wallet for a while. Like I've been paying attention to you guys, but yeah, it's just like, I, I just don't run my own lighting notes. So I haven't been able to use it up until recently. Um, I, so one of the, one of the issues that I have with, with lighting is the onboarding experience a little bit difficult, especially with Phoenix. I'd say that this is the biggest friction point for me with them is, you know, if I'm going to onboard somebody to to Lightning uh, or to Bitcoin in general, I like their wallet because it has the 12 words. I can export it to, to Electrum if anything goes wrong yeah. with them. I like that. I really like that. But but then if I depart, if I send them any Bitcoin, it's going to charge them an on-chain fee on the spot. And uh, the fees are really high yeah, right now. Big problem. Um, so that, that's a serious bummer uh, when you're setting up somebody with, you know, 20 bucks of Bitcoin. It's like there goes half of it. So um, how does this work with uh, Zeus and how do you see this this problem? Is there like an easy solution for self-custody lighting to, you know, can I? why can't I just send the guy sats through my you know, like lining, you know, network sats directly and not have them have to have a, an on-chain uh, fee up front? Uh, well, this is a fantastic problem. So uh, a fantastic question, I would say, and a very difficult problem that many of us are trying to solve. Uh, I think there's been a lot of misconceptions about how Lightning is going to work and its relationship to uh, the blockchain. But really, if you're going to do something in a trustless manner, in a truly self-custodial manner, Uh, on-chain fees, at least for, you know, initial setup are very, very difficult to avoid. Um, obviously you lessen them by being able to compound many, many Bitcoin transactions over a single lightning channel, but you can never truly really escape them, 
uh, if you want to maintain these properties of being trust minimized and being self-custodial. Uh, so some people have been experimenting with new methods. We certainly want to make it easier for uh, friends and family to onboard each other onto Lightning. And I think there's going to be a couple of different methods. I think first and foremost, it's pretty straightforward. Just a friend or family just incurring the fees for someone. You make a, a you give your friend a gift, right, of some Satoshis to get started. And in within that gift, you also say, hey, I'm going to cover your channel opening fees. So that's the more common approach. That's the more uh, trust minimized way, but albeit it's more expensive. What we're really excited about, which you can very much do with Zeus today, is use these things called trusted channels. These are channels that are essentially unbroadcasted. Uh, They never touch the blockchain. You never have to incur the on-chain and closing channel costs. But you can allow a friend to piggyback onto the Lightning Network through your own node uh, using these channels. So we've got a tutorial on our documentation site in which to do it. I think this is also a really good way for people who might have their own Lightning nodes at home to open up a virtual channel to their Zeus node in their pocket so they don't need the entire balance of their Lightning node in their pocket as they're out and about. Uh, But I think this is also a very interesting way to potentially uh, onboard friends and family. And I think the basis of it, these zero-conf channels that are not broadcast, are essentially the foundation of the new scaling techniques that we're going to use to onboard even more people on the Lightning uh, in the coming years. Um, So we've got some interesting base for a foundation on which we can more easily add people onto the network, which is quite fascinating. That's fascinating. I've never heard of that. So so this is kind of like they're basically borrowing one of the channels that I've already opened, let's say. Yeah. Right? So is, is yeah, that yeah. Well, you're actually creating a new channel that's virtual that both the nodes believe are of this capacity, right? Uh, but there's a new element of trust, right? You got to trust whoever's onboarding you that they're not going to take all your sats at the end of the day. So there is an element of trust there, but you can do it in a way in which there is a, tr- a transition period. So the friend can get onboarded with these new virtual channels, but then when they're ready, they can go and open up their own proper channels that are trust minimized and truly self-custodial. So I think you might want to do this in a time where there are very high fees, where you want to have someone have this ability to uh, get on board onto Lightning and transition over to the fully self-custodial experience when the costs are a little more optimal. Uh, and I think that in a lot of situations where you're dealing with you know very good friends or family, this is an acceptable trade-off uh, and another option that people can leverage. So it's definitely a fascinating mm-hmm. setup that I think we're going to explore and try to make an even better user experience for in the next year or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. It feels like there's a lot of uh, a lot of opportunity for designing a kind of a you know a familiar experience for people, right? Obviously, there's a lot of uh, banking apps that will give you like a you know shared credit cards with a family member or something like that. So I don't think you're you're too far off from you know the, let's say the rising banking standard of shared bank accounts or like even credit cards that are you know. Um, anchor to the primary uh, breadwinner, but then you can also have like a sort of subset credit card 
for somebody else. That's something that I'm seeing in, in the in the banking space. Um, how how does the UX of this work? Uh, at least for, like the, the fundamentals of it. Like, do, do they still get twelve words, but they sort of you yeah. know how does that yeah, work? Yeah. So in this setup, which differs a little bit from these other Uncle Jim sort of setups, where you get like an LN Bits or an LND Hub, those are purely just account based. And you could be rugged fully at any time by whoever's hosting you. But with this setup, you still have the full node, the full lightning node, the full wallet, those 24 seed words. And while those 24 seed words won't help you if your friend, whoever is giving you these trusted channels, those funds back, it still allows them to easily transition into having those full self-custodial funds. So it's somewhat of a step upwards towards that full self-custodial experience. It removes one of those steps of friction. And uh, truly with Zeus, we see ourselves as having like three or four different archetypes of users, right? There's the user that just goes with the Uncle Jim or the custodian and they plug in, you know, maybe it's even an Albi, a Get Albi account, which you could plug into your Zeus and take on the go with you. That's the first bucket of user. Then we have, I'd say, the user that has this sort of trusted setup with a friend, these virtual channels, right? Beyond that, I would say, is the embedded node user who has their seed words and all their channels are, you know, confirmed on chain and they're fully self-custodial. And then beyond that, even, I would say in the fourth bucket is the person running their own full node. They're downloading the entire blockchain their node is running 24-7, and uh, they might have to spend more time in running and operating the node, but uh, they have opportunities to even make money on routing on the node. Uh, so we have a lot of different archetypes of users, and we're always constantly thinking about, okay, how do we uh, create a pipeline for these users to step up their setup to evolve in the self-custody game, and how do we provide education? Because uh, these concepts of, of self-custody, like they don't really exist in the same way at all in the traditional financial world. How do we educate users and how do we make our user interface easy for people to grasp these concepts? And, uh, you know, there's no real clear answer to that. But, you know, every day we wake up, we, we try to find where the pain points are and try to innovate and, and make a better product. Yeah. No, I really like that. Uh, for a long time, I've thought that uh, the growth of Bitcoin is going to happen, you know, in a, in a kind of familiar, familial, trusted sort of local network. Like it, start, it starts at the bottom and it grows and it starts with the Bitcoiners. And we are basically like the, you know, the, the spearhead of Bitcoin propaganda, right? Yeah. We're going to tell, like, especially the early Bitcoiners sort of experiences, like you got to tell everybody about it at Orange Pill, everybody that you run into, right? In fact, you can't, for for a good like year and a half, it seems like you can't talk about anything else. It's just like a full on uh, acid trip of, of, of Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, at know? first when it first hits you, when you get that first hit <laughs> to continue your analogy, uh, yeah, it it becomes inescapable, and uh, I guess it tapers off a little bit over time. Perhaps you shill yeah. a little um, more gently, but I think you're I think you're yeah. totally on the money. I, I think it helps coming from your perspective, Juan. You know, I, I know you're an anarchist mm-hmm. of sorts. But I, I, I think if you go down that rabbit hole long enough, uh, it really, uh, you know, just illuminates to you the importance of these local communities, 
of these relationships, you know, where you're directly looking people in the eye and shaking their hands and sort of just removing these bureaucrats, these bigger organizations, these people that, you know, you're, you don't see on a day-to-day basis. And I think that like really stems the, in like the importance of uh, individual um, action and in local community building. And I think that everything should build up around that more than anything. Uh, which is pretty funny to say as we're on this, you know, this globally connected network on this podcast on X.com. Uh, but, you know, it's it's true. You can build amazing relationships in person that are much harder to foster online. Yeah. And and one of the things that happens after, you know, you, you go down the rabbit hole and then you get some Bitcoin or maybe you experience a cycle and all of a sudden you have Bitcoin to spend. Right. Because it's it's gone up in value. And so now you have this question of, okay, so how do I, you know, want to buy some stuff? How do I spend yeah. it, right? And, like, the options are, okay, well, you go sell it to an exchange in KYC and take, you know, a potential, you know, tax write-off, right? Or you're dealing with all these sort of KYC risks, like privacy, sort of leakage and such, as, as Rob was reporting earlier. Like, a sure way to get hacked in this industry is to KYC because at some point, that's going to get leaked and then your address is going to be out there as somebody that bought Bitcoin. It's not great. Not ideal. Right. And so, um, so you have this question and, and I think there's a lot of opportunity in this kind of sort of trusted family, let's say interfaces or ways of using Bitcoin, because, you know, there's a lot of friends and family of mine at this point that are actually buying Bitcoin and they're buying it from me. And that means it's like, you know, off band, Right. Like no, we're not paying commission, right? So it's zero commission, private Bitcoin transactions, often for cash, right? Or like maybe bank transfers, but like there's there's no clear, you know, explanation of, of you know what I mean? Yeah. So like, I think that there's there's a lot of opportunities there. And I, and I really like this feature that you just mentioned. I'm going to have to play with it uh, because that just removes another friction there, right? Which is that that opening channel. Yeah, at the beginning at least, right? Just to get people yeah, going. Absolutely. Right? I mean, listen, you never want to have I mean, ultimately the goal of Bitcoin is to give someone full control of self-custody and like reap the uh you know, the effects of that, being empowered by that and truly being in charge of your own financial destiny, I think. Um, but you know, for some people it can be scary at first. It's a big responsibility, admittedly, right? When you're dealing with money, uh it's something that uh, people don't want to mess up. You don't want to lose your hard day's work of earnings. Um, so I, I think in your case, like people seek a lot of comfort, right? And, and you sort of play this important role as, say, you know, an Uncle Jim in, in the terms of, you know, helping onboard people. But uh, in guiding them, you're sort of like a Bitcoin Sherpa of sorts. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's immensely powerful because you know, most people in the world that they don't have that. Um, so if we're able to, you know, teach the next person and they could be that person for the next person in the line, um, I think that's immensely powerful. You know, it's like uh, that teach a man to fish analogy sort of. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think that's, um, I think that's a very realistic sort of potential development path or, or adoption path, right? Because, yeah, like like you and me and a lot of people listening to this, we are probably the people that know the most about Bitcoin in your in your social circle. Like we're just the, we're the we're the local go to Bitcoin nerds, and that's gonna keep being the case for a while. 
And so, uh, you know, within where, where there is sort of a trusted relationship or like an actual, like real human accountability, right? Like if you screw your family off that Bitcoin, you're going to pay the consequences, right? It's not going to be a happy time. So, you know, there are checks and balances and so on. So anyway, I love it. I think, I think that's, uh, that's actually really cool. And I think there's a lot of space to, to innovate there. Yeah, so, absolutely. so um, definitely a stepping stone that we think is going to have immense power and something that we're going to continue to build off of that might actually power some of our other offerings as we scale up. So mm-hmm. uh, definitely something to keep your eyes on, but also something that you mm-hmm. can employ both with yourself and with friends and family today. Right on, right on. Um, and uh, so I've heard of something called the, the LSPs, right? It seems like this is uh, a big piece of infrastructure that's kind of, uh, you know, establishing itself in this industry, mm-hmm. right? So you have, um, you have obviously the Phoenix uh, side of things. They have their own LSP, and uh, we have Breeze, which is apparently one of the big LSPs as well. Are you guys an LSP as well, or how does, how yeah, does that so work? Yeah, so Olympus is our LSP. Uh, it is the default mm-hmm. in Zeus, uh, but we also have support for a second LSP called uh, Voltage Flow 2.0 that is also compatible with our wallet. So uh, I believe we're technically the first mobile wallet that is compatible with multiple LSPs. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, our, our node Olympus is very well connected on the Lightning Network. We are actively keeping it rebalanced. We are actively opening up new channels to big hubs, uh, big and little hubs, just anywhere we think that can improve the user experience. And we basically set up to do all the heavy lifting for you. We are going to nurture and maintain our node like a, you know, a growing garden so that you don't have to. All you have to do at home is worry about having one single channel to Olympus and you'll be able to send and receive basically anywhere on the Lightning Network. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't, how does how do things work at that level? You know, I mean, I, I hear things like, oh, there's uh, Lightning ads or uh, liquidity mm-hmm. ads. Uh, and there's this whole idea in the early days of Lightning that you could potentially make some money routing with routing fees, or that that, that market would eventually develop. Um, and you know, one of the things that I heard uh, in in the podcast with uh, uh, the, the recent podcast you did was that there was some sort of controversy around like the 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 times in the in the HTLCs, right? So you guys are sort of innovating on or, or using some shorter time yeah. lots and stuff. Tell us about what it's like at that level, just so people can get a get a sense of of what's be you know the the who's behind the curtain or how, how you know how things work in the back end. Uh, and tell us about that controversy because I find it hilarious, and I think I think you're probably doing the right thing, pushing the, the boundaries. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, so what you're talking about specifically is another major feature that we've released alongside the new wallet. Uh, it is essentially a lightning address that comes. Uh, with the wallet that anyone can set up. Uh, you pick your handle and you get an address. I am Evan at ZeusPay.com and it is connected to my embedded mobile node in my Zeus wallet. And there's a couple of different things that you would see from a traditional lightning address. So most people get a lightning address from a provider and it is entirely self-custodial. I mean, excuse me, it's, it's entirely custodial. Right, So they are depending on someone else to host this infrastructure for them. And at any given time, you can lose the money associated with that account. 
So we wanted to go a completely different direction. We always wanted to do a lightning address that was self-custodial, of course. We didn't want users to lose their funds. We wanted them to be in control always. But there's a challenge here with lightning. To be able to receive 24-7 is a great difficulty. And it doesn't really it's not really conducive when you have a phone node that's just in your pocket and it's offline most of the time. It's only online when you open it up and fire up the app. Uh, so something came across our radar from our good friend, Super Testnet. Uh, he is a uh, prolific hacker in the space, I would say. And he devised this scheme called ZapLocker. And ZapLocker essentially allows you to have a self-custodial, async, 24-hour receive lightning wallet. Uh, and basically, you just need to sign on to your wallet once every 24 hours to redeem your funds. And we do this by essentially sending these payments into a transition state, um, at which point they can either be redeemed by the receiver or they return back to the sender. So at no time can we at Zeus take your funds and rug you. It is an entire self-custodial experience. We just do some of the heavy lifting for you. Uh, We charge you a bit of a higher fee so that you can make the payments and we host the infrastructure for you. So this is good for like static lighting uh, QR codes, right? Where you just give somebody a you know a uh, an email or like a static QR code, and they they can send any time. There's no like expiration time on the exactly. invoice. Or, you you, you know, you're going to keep the same yeah. handle, so you can get one at Zeus Pay. You can either give it to mm-hmm. someone in text form or create a QR code, and you're never going to have to generate a new one. That'll always be your address. Yeah. Under the hood, we might upgrade the mechanics, the infrastructure but you essentially have a static address that anyone can pay to you. Even if you're a nomad, even if you don't have, you know, a node in your house or you're constantly moving, as long as you log into your Zeus app once every 24 hours, you have a self-custodial wallet that no one can take away from you. Mm-hmm. And that's anchored to your 12 words. And um, yeah, that's basically the right. Yeah, exactly. It redeems all to your 12 right words. Obviously, there's some action in which you need to manually redeem things. There is a uh, automatic redeem mode uh, if you have the app open. Uh, but we think that with our next release that should be out in the next couple of weeks, those who have Android will at least be able to run the node 24-7 if you don't mind your battery and network usage. And, uh, you know, those payments will essentially auto-redeem. So uh, sort of pushing the envelope there. But for a lot of users and these newer yeah. phones... It actually performs really quite well, so we're excited to get that out the door soon too. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I mean, I think I think Phoenix is always running in the background for me. Uh, it asked me for like a permission at some point to do that. I don't think it'd be a big issue. I'm always, uh, you know, I, I my, half of my brain power is always dedicated to making sure I don't run out of battery. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I carry like a battery backup, right? I think somebody tweeted recently, it's like, I'm always in a constant state of running out of battery or charging, recharging my battery. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it is tough. You got to find a balance, right? Because we are constantly getting better and better phones every year. Mm-hmm. The network connectivity is always getting better. But, you know, we also need to find a balance. There are people in places with, uh, you know, uh, lower GDP, less access to capital, not always updating mm-hmm. their phones like we are in the West. And uh, places that have less connectivity. So we need to find a balance. And, uh, you know, we're proud mm-hmm. that 
Zeus has so many different ways to connect. Uh, you know, you're, you're almost always going to find one way that works for you at least. Um, but you know, the ultimate goal is to just get people to be able to run the full infrastructure on their node, um, uh, on their phone rather, and be self-custodial. And we think every year that goes by, the cost comes down and becomes easier for everyone to do so. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, I can see the progress, right? I think it's, it's um, things are definitely moving forward. Um, I have questions like, random questions like, what, is, what does async mean? I mean, this is a word that I'm hearing thrown around a lot, but nobody ever defines it. So what what is async in the, in the context of Lightning and why is it so awesome? Yeah, sure thing. So async is short for asynchronous. Uh, this means that actions can happen at different times, right? So a typical Lightning address with a node that's on 24-7, these payments happen basically synchronously. When the sender makes the payment, it automatically goes all the way through and the receiver redeems it. Now, since our nodes are in our pockets and not on all the time, typically, the actions have to happen asynchronously, out of sync. Uh, the sender essentially... Uh, makes the payment, and then the receiver actually doesn't have to make the receive action until up to 24 hours later. So this is what I would say is the asynchronous action. Right. Okay, that's super cool. So that that obviously gives people some flexibility <clears throat> around connectivity and so on. But but I guess that's where some lockups of liquidity happen in the network. Yeah, right? absolutely. Uh, because uh, so there's right. been a lot of concerns about this. And I think that a lot of it is definitely with merit, uh, but I think it's sort of twofold. It's something that I believe can be priced in. Uh, with our service, we've seen thousands of users sign up and get addresses. We've had tens of thousands, uh, I believe is getting close to hundreds of thousands of payments being made, or at least well on its way. Uh, through the service and, and people are willing to pay premiums uh, for the service to be able to receive in a self-custodial manner. So there's a clear market demand for it. And, um, you know, it's, it's something that node operators can both charge more for, but also open up additional channels uh, when they need to help facilitate uh, these transactions. So, um, we know there's definitely a lot of trade-offs. We think that under the hood, a lot of things could potentially change. Uh, but we're really proud to say that, you know, we have brought async, self-custodial, static addresses to mobile on Lightning. And while a lot of people aren't thrilled about how the mechanics work under the hood, uh, we're really excited for people to work with to help us develop better solutions and to help bring this onto people's radars. I feel a lot of the people working on protocol stuff on the Lightning Network, they're brilliant. I really am grateful for a lot of the work they do, uh, but they really have not been listening to demands from users. I think a lot of users have been demanding this sort of functionality. They finally have it, they're using it, and they're actually willing to pay a premium for it, which is really encouraging. So let's keep building and let's keep iterating on this because this sort of workflow with a lightning address receiving and being able to do so in an async manner and especially doing it self custodially. Like there's no coming back from this. This is now, this is the new mm-hmm. bar and now we have to build on top of this and see how we can make it better and scale it up even more. Yeah. I mean, as a, as a very lazy lightning user, I love it. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely start using it. I'm gonna move my my uh, email lightning uh, you know address to Sue's, and uh, I think it's you know we've needed it for a long time. One of the annoying UX you know issues of lightning is like somebody will send you an invoice, right? And then you just forget about it. And then later on, you get back to this, like, oh, the invoice is expired. Try yeah. again. It's like, oh. Yeah, it's definitely <laughs> it's definitely not great. Um, you know, it's it's something that is partially addressed by Bolt 12, which is great, which is going to start rolling yeah. out on the network, right. uh, at least in some forms next year more heavily, which is going to be great. But, mm-hmm. you know, Bolt 12 right. still doesn't have the user-friendly readability aspect of it. And uh, I think it's sort of inescapable. I think people are going to continue to use lightning addresses uh, to serp up addresses and invoices of, of all types. So it's going to be very interesting to see how it evolves. But this is sort of now the new standard in the same way that people expect to just pop in a user account into their Venmo, Cash App, PayPal, et cetera, in the West. Um, this is sort of becoming a standard for the user experience in Bitcoin payments. Yeah, and, and the email as the username is actually very intuitive, right? People are already kind of used to using email as their, you know, digital identity anchor, right? Um, and it's kind of global, right? Even if you have all these usernames in different social networks, they all underneath have an email, mm-hmm. right? So I think it's it's very intuitive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So welcome, Keeks. Uh, I, I met you in Austin a while back. So it's good to have you on. Um, yeah, I can't wait to... to to hear any questions hey, you might Keeps, have. Hey, what's up, man? Uh, how are you doing, man? I'm actually not here. I mean, I, I do have some questions for Evan, but I also <laughs> am here to, to to help, too. So I work on Lightning every day now. So okay. uh, I also just I saw this space happening. So I was like, you know, why not drop in and see if, if I can Excellent. help provide. Awesome, awesome. No, it's good to have you, man. Um, I just have one more, like, dumb question, and then maybe we can get into a little bit more of a, like deeper uh, issues, uh, more technical issues with lighting. Um, what, uh, Evan, when you guys talk about people having a full node or full lighting node on their wallet, what does that mean, right? Because to me, like as as, a, as again as a lazy lighting user, I mean, to me, a full node is like you know almost nearly a terabyte of, <laughs> of SSD drive space just sitting there yeah, <laughs> doing absolutely. stuff, right? That's what it means to me, right? So what what is a lightning node? Um, in, 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 in how does it work with Sue's So I think there's a very important distinction here. Uh, so when you're running the embedded node in Zeus, you're really not running a full node uh, and you're really not doing full validation either. There are definitely some trade-offs here. Uh, what we do use is something called Neutrino, which uses a form of block filters that allows us to essentially get the headers from all the blocks without getting all the content and also giving us a really great and private way of fetching information on our transactions when we need. So one of the things we really pride ourselves on in Zeus is the privacy of our application. Uh, In no way do we know how much money you have, what you're using these funds for. Uh, When you make a lightning payment even, that is done entirely on your device. The route is calculated on your device. And, uh, you know, on the on-chain side, the Neutrino uh, block filters are a major part of it. So instead of having to download, I don't know how big's the chain now, 600, 700 gigabytes, uh, you only download the headers, which amount to, I don't know, somewhere between like 50 or 60 megabytes on the initial sync and 
from there, it's uh, quite minuscule moving forward to get back up to sync. Um, so yeah, I would say when saying this is a, a full lightning node on your phone, I would say that's more so pertaining to the abilities that we give to you. The ability to open up channels wherever you want, uh, to essentially uh, make both on-chain and lightning payments however you want to whoever you want. Uh, the actual validation, though, uh, definitely has an asterisk on it, but it has a great degree of privacy. Uh, I mean, Neutrino yeah. has SPV, proper, SPV properties with respect to uh, like its guarantees. So it's like as long as you trust proof of work uh, to do the validation for you, you have full security, full custodianship up past that point. Absolutely. Um, yes, Neutrino has definitely got some fantastic properties. And, um, you know, there's definitely a trade-off in terms of getting it synced up compared to some of these other other wallets that might be instant. But it seems like in the next year, we're going to get some uh, extra functionality to it, including side loading, which is going to make the experience quite uh, seamless and instant for the people who are okay with getting rid of those trust assumptions. Um, and I think it's going to be comparable to something like a Phoenix wallet. Right. Yeah. And, and the question of privacy is, is, is very interesting in lightning. Um, obviously I think in the early days of lightning, um, there was uh, a lot of uh, excitement about the privacy potential for lightning, right? You have all these onion routing, mm-hmm. right? Like you don't know which hop is through, you know, like which, who in the chain is the sender, right? Like, there's all this sort of potential for privacy. And uh, today the conversation is kind of a little bit more nuanced. We, you know, I think it's often said that um, there the sender has very good privacy, the receiver not so much. Uh, and that's assuming that you're using, I, I presume, a quote-unquote full lightning node, yeah. right? Um, yeah, can you, can you give us like the, a little bit of an overview of the privacy uh panorama and, and, and discussion in Lightning? Yeah, sure thing. So on the Lightning layer, I think you nailed it right on the head. Uh, as a sender, since we're using Onion routing and the sender typically creates this route themselves, the sender has fantastic privacy. Um, when you receive a payment, uh, you don't really know where it came from. You can only tell the last hop on that chain and you know, you have no idea if that last hop was the sender or not. Most likely not. Uh, from a receiver's perspective, though, uh, as it stands today, uh, you don't really have great privacy at all. Uh, your node's public key is actually embedded in the Bolt 11 invoice, the standard invoice format we're using today. And from there, you can look up the Lightning node. You can look up all the broadcasted uh channels and what the relationships are. And you could actually, in most of those cases on those public channels, you can look up and find the on-chain funds that correlate to those channels. So in a lot of ways, it's a privacy nightmare. Uh, One thing that we do to help mitigate this risk and sort of shift the trust is we have something called wrapped invoices with our LSP. And for a small fee of just two sets, you can wrap any invoices that you generate to conceal your node's public key, and it appears to the payer that you're just paying the Olympus node. So we get a little bit more visibility into your transactions there. The shifts definitely shifts over to the LSP. But 
you have the ability to shield your real nodes address from any payers, which is really cool. Um, yeah, but this again is a, just a makeshift solution. We, we have some cool stuff in the pipeline that's basically ready to ship next year in the form of blinded paths, uh, which essentially just gives uh, these hints of sorts of wh- where someone can make a payment without actually embedding your full public key into an invoice like you do today. Yeah, I was going to say there's there's a little bit more nuance to the privacy discussion. I mean, Evan Evan said everything completely correctly. I just also want like the audience to understand that there's like three different vantage points when we're talking about uh, payment privacy. There's the sender knowing who the receiver is. There's the receiver mm-hmm. knowing who the sender is, and then there's also third parties knowing who either of those parties are. Lightning has excellent privacy for that third use case. Excellent privacy again from the receivers. Uh, or sorry, the, the receiver's inability to know who the sender is, but not very good on the sender's inability to know who the receiver is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like at, uh, we do have route blinding coming down uh, the pipeline for uh, sort of addressing that, that third category. But as it stands today, those other two categories, and I think this is the, the, the important one that didn't get touched on just now, is that the, the, the ability for third parties to ascertain whether or not, uh, like which... Uh, like who the sender or the receiver is, is like, it's very, very, very difficult. There are certain things that can be done, but uh, like you have to, it's it's similar to the way that things work in Tor where you'd have to like have a number of different nodes on the network and then be doing some like complicated statistical analysis to try to be able to figure it out. Um, And even then you're the information that you're able, able to reveal in the process is only partial. Right. And to improve that visibility is very expensive, right, Keeks? Like you need to set up a lot of channels in the middle and yes. build up these big it's, reputations. It's, it's it's crazy. Unlike, yeah, unlike with Tor, um, it's not just a matter of like setting up nodes. It's like you have to set up nodes and actually put them on channel routes because you're not going to get the ability to even uh, collect this data if you're not routing payments. And routing payments requires channels and channels require on-chain funds. Damn. Keeks, do we want to dive in even to the analysis of the on-chain footprints too? Because that's a whole other can of worms we could go down, you know? I mean, yeah, I, so that one's the trickiest one, right? Um, there are, actually, I, don't, I hesitate to, I mean, obviously it's, it's open source development. So, you know, I, I, I don't really, uh, there's nothing to hide here really, but there <laughs> are discussions in the protocol engineering space about whether future versions of lightning even want to have channels that are quote unquote backed by on-chain funds. Um, and this might freak people out. Um, it certainly freaked me out at first. Um, but the risk that is incurred by having what are called unbacked lightning channels are, is primarily borne by the people who are putting up the unbacked by lightning channels. So you as a sender, if you're sending through an unbacked channel, it actually doesn't really affect you. Um, and so in, in that case, if, if more and more people start to do that, um, especially pairing that with route blinding, things get really, really, really private as a result. Um, the only downside is, and this is the primary concern I have in those discussions that I'm kind of like at least pushing back on moderately, which is whether or not the whole system is going to suffer from high, higher payment failure rates as a result. Because um, if these channels are unbacked and for whatever reason payment settlement doesn't uh, happen the way that it's supposed to because of some backroom deal between two nodes that like don't have on-chain funds backing it, um, then it's possible 
that the entire network suffers that in the form of like having payment failure rates go up. But it's also possible that the exact opposite happens, that payment uh, success rates are, are higher as a result. So it's, it's unclear. The discussions are ongoing. Um, if you want to follow it, it's part of like, um, uh, let, me, let me pull up the, uh, I'll get the actual um, bolt numbers, extension bolt numbers that are, this discussion is happening in. But uh, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely fascinating. I think, I think it could go either way. I'm leaning it towards it being a increase in uh, routing success. But if we come back to blinded paths, I feel like it's certainly going to be a decrease in payment success. Um, but we still haven't really quantified it. It's not been out in the wild yet. We don't really have good tools to measure it yet, and, or at least no one's attempted to do tests on um, it yet. Uh, so it's going to be really fascinating. Uh, I think inherently with Lightning, we have this great trade-off between privacy and user experience that we're going to be battling uh, for some years and, and trying to fine-tune. Uh, so I think that's a fascinating tension that we're going to have uh, over the next couple of years. Yeah. Let me ask the, the annoying question here because uh, it's actually super interesting. And I've, I've heard a little bit about this sort of concept of like almost like credit based uh, lighting. Oh, this is so good. I knew Juan was going to hit on this. You know, he's like, Hey, this sounds like fractional reserve banking. (laughs) (laughs) So where is the money, Evan? (laughs) (laughs) So so let's, let's actually like imagine this in a second. Um, Let's imagine in our minds a, a network with four hops. Okay. There's the hop between, uh, you know, the, the sender and the first intermediate node, a hop between two intermediate nodes, and then the hop between the intermediate node and the receiver. Okay. Let's suppose for a moment that the channel between the two intermediates is indeed unbacked. It's, you could call it fake if you want, right? So let's examine what happens when uh, the payment actually gets constructed. So a hash time on a contract gets constructed forwards along the route from the sender to the, to the receiver, right? Mm-hmm. Once all of that stuff is locked in, then the receiver reveals the pre-image and the payment flows pay, uh, like like uh, pull the money backwards along the route. This subtlety is really important because let's say now that this fake channel doesn't actually, that it doesn't actually exist between these two intermediaries. And there's some like problem with their, you know, meet space agreement and everything falls apart and like nothing works. So who actually gets cheated in this scenario? It's not the receiver. The receiver gets their money the second that they reveal that pre-image, right? If the payment doesn't get pulled all the way back to the sender, which would imply a succeeding, that it succeeds completely, then, uh, the sender doesn't actually lose their money. So in, in, in the payment failure case where like this actually blows up, both the sender and the receiver win. And the people who get fucked are in the, are the people in the middle who are doing the unbacked channel stuff. Um, so as long as you're not like signing up to do one of these sorts of unbacked channels, then like you're not exposed. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Okay. So Juan, I, I, Keegs, uh, you weren't here, but I was telling Juan about our virtual channels and how you can set them up with Zeus today. And uh, that's essentially what we're talking about in essence here. 
And uh, as it stands, you need to actually opt into accepting these virtual channels from your counterparty, right? So you're the new user. You don't want to pay the on-chain risk, uh, the on-chain fee. You're ready to accept the risk. Um, you have to explicitly opt in to allowing that virtual channel that's unbacked. Uh, and, uh, you know, we already have that in a form on the Lightning Network today. And those who want to make sure that all their channels have balances associated with them, have backing behind them, um, can continue to do so. So it's going to be very interesting yeah. as people have different degrees of risk tolerance to accomplish different goals. Um, people are going to have the ability to do so just like they do on the traditional financial system. They're willing to take on derivatives of all sorts of different sorts uh, with various levels of back backing. Uh, the same thing is going to happen on the Lightning Network, um, but uh, with definitely less degrees of, of blowback and, and results on you as long as all your counterparties have funds that are accounted for. So it's going to be really fascinating to see play out, that's for sure. Right. And think, yeah, that's that. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think the key thing is, is that unlike what we have in like fractional reserve banking systems where like the actual presence or absence of your money is like at stake, the issue, like it, there isn't a systemic risk. Here. Well, or let me, let me put it differently. The systemic risk that the network incurs by mm -hmm. doing this is like similar to the systemic risk of the internet as a function of like the transatlantic cable. It's like, okay, if one of these <laughs> channels blows up, then maybe major routes you might expect to be able to pay people over will fail. And like that can be a real inconvenience. I don't want to like actually uh, sort of dismiss that completely. But it's not right. like the money that you're supposed to have suddenly vanishes. It's just like your connectivity to important places might go down, which is a problem in and of itself. But it's not the same thing as like losing your life savings. Yeah, that's for sure. Right. Right. And um, so, so what? What is a one of these? Um let's say meet space arrangements look like, you know, but obviously there's some privacy benefits. Um, I think uh, Evan, you, you, you pointed out that there's a very clear um, onboarding use case here where you can onboard people without having them have to, you know, pay a, an on-chain fee upfront to set up their own like collateralized uh, lighting channel, uh -huh. so to speak. Um, what are other forms of arrangements that, that, that actually make some sense for people, you know, assuming they could, you know, use this technology? Uh, so what comes to mind is first and foremost, people who are running their own infrastructure that have multiple lightning nodes that serve different functions. Uh, they may want to set up these virtual channels to help facilitate flows between these nodes uh, while not having to incur the on-chain costs. And then in the meet space between different parties that, probably have well-established relationships that are dealing with a certain degree of trust already that have uh, well-embedded, um, you know, legally binding relationships. Uh, it's definitely more cost efficient to say, hey, well, um, you know, we can trust you a little bit more because we know exactly where your guys' offices are. You guys are in our country. We can just sue the pants off of you if we don't get these Bitcoin from you from this virtual uh, channel. So I think there's going to be a ton of that too. Um, you know, obviously the trust model there is completely different, but I think those would be the two main examples that I would use. That's super interesting. So, so it's basically like another off 
chain uh, balance settlement, right? Instead of doing like Sats denominating off chain settlement, right? Or you know what I mean? Like like it's just a different kind of accounting, yeah. right? Like, yeah, the just settlement. Like, Oh, I'll pay. I'll pay you in in like you know. I'll I'll just sell you my car. You know, I'll give you my car. exactly. Yeah, it can right? be something as simple one as saying, "Hey, let's do our settlement uh, when the uh, on chain fees, the mempool fees, go down to a certain level." It could be something as simple as that, but there could also be crazy derivatives where, oh yeah, we're not even settling up with Sats for this channel. We're selling each other each other's uh, shares in our companies or different derivatives even. Uh, so yeah, it, it could take so many different forms, and it's going to be really interesting to like think about all the relationships that yeah. might manifest in different ways. It's important to note that even like no matter what with this, the the, the sort of bedrock of the scheme is still the hash time lock contract, right? Still, what's happening is that the sender is saying, "Okay, here, let me send out some money that will get paid on contingent on on, on the contingency that the pre-image is revealed." That same contract construction happens the entire way around the route, even in these virtual channels. So the meet space agreement really just is: it's like I will pay to your company uh, like some amount of some asset that we will agree on, provided that you can reveal this pre-image to me. Like that's still ultimately like what the agreement looks like. And the mm-hmm. fact that it's, it's just not executed by the Bitcoin script VM on the global consensus network. It's where they're basically saying, Hey, how about we have this particular leg of the route be enforced by uh, like whatever our local court or whatever our like agreed upon escrow is. And like, you can actually imagine that this could get uh, even like you can do something sort of hybrid where it's like, okay, um, maybe it's not like a, just the hash light time lock contract on the Bitcoin scripts VM, but it's like, okay, we'll actually hold money in escrow in a third party because we have additional things that we want to like guarantee between us. But the point is, is that it's this payment flow that is gated by this like piece of secret information. Right. So, you know, there's this analogy that Bitcoin is a, it's a, it's a court, you know, where you go and settle your disputes. If you can't come to an agreement, this is this kind of off-band, let's say, uh, non-collateralized or credit credit-based lighting systems are just using a different court. That that's yeah. And maybe. in some cases, it it might in those cases, like short term, it probably won't cost you. But uh, in a lot of cases, it's going right. to cost you a lot more to settle in a you know court of law rather than doing it on the blockchain. But yeah. you know, <clears throat> life is complex. We all maybe. have different. I mean, yeah. we don't know that. <laughs> yeah, that's like, not, like, yeah, let's, that's let's not be real. Let, let, let's be for for now. That's definitely true. But like you know, if we don't expand the block size and like the minor incentives are the way that they are right now, like in, in a hyper Bitcoinized world, you could actually imagine a world where uh, local court enforcement is actually cheaper. And like that shouldn't be hard <laughs> to to convince ourselves is the case yeah. because it's like if Bitcoin is like a global supreme court that's processing like two thousand cases every ten minutes or whatever it is, then like you know it might actually be faster and cheaper to adjudicate some dispute at a lower court, whatever that is. So now it's always going to be better if you can afford to do it at the global consensus uh, network. But like in a world where Bitcoin achieves kind of the things that people, I think the dreams people have for it, it's not going to be reasonable to uh, expect that, on-chain settlement is going to be cheaper than like your local court. I don't think. 
Yeah, where we're going, uh, the fees are high. Yeah, well, we'll I guess I <laughs> guess we'll find out. They, they have to be high. They have to be high. Because if they're not, the yeah. system falls apart. I think people forget about that. But the question is, how high do they yeah. need to be? I, that, I mean, that's that, a, that is the question. That Anybody is the question. Know the answer to that. <laughs> Anybody who says they know the answer to that is something. Yeah. Well, you know, we definitely have a lot of yeah. questions ahead of us uh, between, you know, the f- security budget, how we're going to scale, what's going to make the most sense, uh, and you know, what what are we optimizing for in Bitcoin? And I think that uh, yeah. we have a lot of questions that are being brought up now, especially given the you know current environment of the mempool and and the fee environment. Um, there's definitely a, right. a lot of different ways that it can go down, and um, it's gonna it's gonna be a fascinating year next year, I think. And uh, hopefully, we see some of these scaling solutions manifest a little more solidly. Yeah, and it, there's definitely a lot of interesting interesting questions, and I think I, I want us to take this conversation into a little bit more of the let's say lightning policy or lightning uh, innovation side of things, but. Let me just ask one last, like, you know, technical question on this topic. Um, is it, you know, in the credit market, you have, let's say, fraud rates, you know, and then you have you have sort of some data on like, okay, well, of all the credit card uh, fraud or, or, or the credit card transactions, X percentage is mm-hmm. fraud. Um, what would be the equivalent in this in this sort of um, lightning market? It would be like failure rates. Uh, would you be able to detect when these kind of uh, uh, off-band agreements that are opt-in, by the way, but you know, I think by definition they're opt-in uh, by intermediaries, right? And you know, uh, is there a way for the people to know? Like, we'll be able to detect. We'll be like, oh wow, there's a very, you know, there's a sharp increase in uh, you know failure, failed off-band payments. Yeah, that's going to be very difficult to measure for a lot of the reasons Keegan outlined. Well, uh, I, I, think, I think it's no, possible, actually, right, for third parties to come up and, and speak to it. But I think the only real metric we're going to have is how much a party actually tested for, like how much Bitcoin uh, do we actually know that they've proved and, and staked up into these channels? Uh, am I wrong, Keegan? I, I will say, well, uh, there, there's a let's break this question down a couple of different ways. Number one is is that as long as we're still source routing, which we are today, um, and I don't see any signs in any protocol discussions with that changing. Um, the sender is aware of who failed the route, right? So if a payment fails, we know along which part it failed. Um, and that, and our ability to actually learn that information is improving in the coming months because there's a, a scheme called attributable errors that's being implemented. Um, it's going to take a while for it to land, but it'll be a little bit better about us as senders knowing exactly where the payment failure happened. So what that allows us to do is it allows us to know when we send payments, like, okay, this route is failing over and over and over again. We also know in this sort of modern regime of, and again, this, it's, it's important for me to like remind the audience also that we, we don't currently live in a world where people can do these unbacked channels. It is a discussion that is happening for um, the sort of uh, next um, iteration of uh, gossip, which is how we're going to like make taproot channels advertise to the rest of the network. Um, but let's suppose for a moment that like that's the right way that we go. Um, we will be able to tell which route, which uh, channels are backed or not. So if you absolutely are just like 
you know, for whatever reason, hell bent on never using an unbacked channel, you can. Um, mm -hmm. That is something that you can, that is a thing, that a piece of information you can know. It's a choice you can make, or rather your software can make, and it'll be up to the wallet providers to figure out if they give that choice all the way back to the user. But also, you know, separately, it's like it, you're not really exposed other than like maybe your payments are like more or less likely to fail depending on the quality of that uh, trust relationship. So um, you, it's not, you won't know if the payment failure rates you're observing are because of unbacked channels, but you can know whether or not they happened on unbacked channels or not. Okay. Okay, so the failure rates are a proxy to maybe getting information on this, but there, yeah, there, it could be other stuff. So yeah, and payment value um, rates are going to happen for all sorts of reasons too. Liquidity being chief among right. them. In fact, mm -hmm. this is the this is the main benefit of doing the unbacked channel, right? Is that if you if you do it on credit between those two links, you can imagine that the payment failure rates as a result of uh, insufficient liquidity are going to go way down because liquidity is not a technical prerequisite to making the payment succeed. Right, right. Yeah, it loosens up the the let's say the what binds the system a little bit, right? Gives people a little more flexibility in the middle to to figure out how to settle those trades. Precisely. Cool. No, that's awesome. Go ahead. Oh, I was just agreeing with. You. Right, right. Okay, great. So, um, okay, let me ask you guys a quick question. Um, I have some. I'm building a Telegram bot just for the lols it's got some bitcoin stuff in it and i want to start um i want to start charging a, like a service fee in lightning uh and i we with my developer we've literally been putting off doing the lightning payment side of things because like we actually have no idea how to fund <laughs> it like do we what's the easiest let's say what's the optimal way to receive lightning payments right now right especially if i'm let's say getting like 20 dollar sort of payments for it um you know what I mean? Like, what's what's the proper way to set it up, uh, in you guys' opinion? <laughs> well, that's a pretty loaded question. Easy way. An easy way. Easy well, way. <laughs> easy way to do it. You know, in a in a in a in, like I don't want to just you know give people a Binance you know invoice link, right? Like I want like I'm thinking BTC Pay, but like I don't know. Is there some other way that I'm not you know aware of? Uh, well, BTC Pay has a great API you could tap into. And if, you know, you set up that node there, get a big payment channel or two or three, it should handle what you're trying to do. Um, and hell, Guan, I'll throw you some inbound to make it smoother. Um, but yeah, I think there's definitely a big gap in the market for tooling to make it easier to integrate Lightning. I know there's a lot of companies out there just being spun up now trying to address this. Uh, it seems like... Um, LightSpark, which is David Marcus's company, is trying to do a lot of enterprise and corporate stuff. Uh, definitely, they're hammering it from like a more compliance angle. Uh, but I definitely anticipate a lot more companies being started up to help address this question. Uh, I, I think it's quite easy to provide a good experience for developers if you, you know, KYC them and you know make them go all through the hoops, but. How do we do this in a truly self-custodial, non-KYC way? Well, you know, that's a whole other can of worms and is very difficult to do. Um, so, yeah, today you're sort of left to your own devices and have to do a lot of the heavy lifting, spin up your own node, get the channels, 
uh, find some sort of API wrapper to plug into your node. Um, but, you know, hopefully tomorrow becomes that much easier. Right. Yeah. I might have to stop being a, a lazy uh, lightning uh, user. You get a little uh, more hands-on. Yeah, like Juan started yeah, I mean, the show yeah, and he's yeah. like, oh, I'm not going to run a node ever. <laughs> but by the end of it, he's like, oh, maybe. <laughs> I mean, yeah. look, we yeah, that, the work yeah. that we do in this industry can help increase the leverage on your effort. But like at the end of the day, like uh, this idea of like having trustless and non-custodial money for free and i mean for free in the sense that like you're not doing any work to like remain vigilant about it it's like that's a it's an unfortunate uh pipe dream unfortunately like you know uh to to what you have to do at least some of is like you know either running some of the stuff yourself or at least uh, doing due diligence on the people that you trust. And this actually includes all the way down to like Bitcoin Core, right? Um, how many people have actually read the source of Bitcoin Core or knows what PRs are going in versus not? Or, you know, somewhere up the stack with like LND and, and whatnot. So I don't expect everybody to do a ton. The whole point of open source is I think we can get a little bit more leverage because like not everybody has to do everything because otherwise we'd be kind of back in the Stone Age. But like, you're not going to be able to sit around and do nothing and expect to get these properties. Or if you do, then it's kind of by accident because uh, you can guarantee it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've often said that um, you know decentralization is the process of actually decentralizing power. So you're actually taking the power that's in the center of the system and like moving it out to the mm -hmm. edges. And giving it back to people, but that means that you actually, you know, with power comes responsibility, yeah, right? So, like, you actually here. have to, you know, you know, like to be able to be able to decentralize anything, the individuals at the edges have to like expand their responsibility, their capacity to respond, their their you know their control over things, and that means their understanding. 100%. So, I think that that's fair, and 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 I like that you that you that you I like what you added there, Keys, which is that this technology just gives you leverage such that you can you know minimize and simplify and manage that that power and that responsibility better yeah it's so, like uh, you know ideally cool. if if people like myself and evan are doing their jobs then like you can get more for less effort in terms of like how much effort you're putting in versus the security and, and like uh sort of guarantees that you're getting out of it but you're never going to be on zero and yeah, yeah. Uh, exactly what you have to do to do those verifications is going to, you know, change over time. And, but like, yeah, uh, you got to yeah. do it. And that's kind of the point, right? Like the reason yeah. any of us want this in the first place is actually not because, I mean, the, the power is one thing, but the, the reason we want the power is because we're tired of other people saying that they're going to take responsibility mm -hmm. for it and then not. Like that's what central bankers are doing, right? Exactly. Like, oh, 100%. we're... we're Average people won't do this, and what we're saying is like average people. Some average people will do this, and or at least we want them to be able to. It's like if, if they don't, if they choose not to, that's up to them. But at least with Bitcoin, they're able to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, wow, love it. That, I think I think we hit a pretty big philosophical uh, primitive there. So that that's awesome. Um, yeah, so you gotta, you know, you can't get out, you, you have to have at least, you know, above zero responsibility in order to, 
to navigate the Bitcoin world, but that's um, that's the awesome thing. It's uh, it's a lot uh, a lot easier to do than I mean you can't re- you can't really run your own bank, but with Bitcoin you can you can get pretty close. So it's, e- it's um, easier than you think, actually. Though I I don't know maybe yeah. I, in some sense in some strange sense like not I, I, it's probably unfair to say this, but like Evan, you're you're running something probably closer to a bank than you ever thought you were like five years would, would be like five years oh, ago. Maybe yeah, abs- absolutely. I mean. Uh, in terms of liabilities, it definitely doesn't mimic uh, a traditional bank for sure, but it definitely looks closer than anything I thought I'd be running. You know, growing up, I, I had no idea that I'd be running something of this scale. And, uh, you know, it's scary in a lot of ways, um, but, uh, you know, it's very empowering in others. And, you know, building things in a way that's, you know, truly self custodial in a way that we can't. Um, rug our users or you know steer them astray is is a good feeling and we're going to keep doing it and keep building it out but yeah it's definitely something i i never expected I, i'd be doing yeah and importantly you don't have to I, ask I, I permission for oh no way i mean right. listen uh you know of course there's a lot of uh, murmurs of all these regulations coming down the pipe but you know if push come to shove we're just gonna go move our node somewhere else uh it wouldn't be easy to move out of the country and move our family out but um you know there's gonna be some crazy times ahead for bitcoiners and uh you know i think we just have a lot of conviction and uh you know you really can't stop an idea whose time has come so yeah yeah, and and a lot of these a lot of these regulations and these sort of old finance uh, rules or or let's say restrictions are are meant for custodians. And what I love about this kind of technology is that it's always actively trying to push the custodial risk off to the edges and off to the user. And so at some point you're going to end up with something that sort of looks like a bank in the middle, but like it has none of the risk or not and none of the none of the custodial risk and uh of a bank and so these regulations are just not going to fit and yeah there's going to be like a rough sort of you know then they fight you sort of stage transition but eventually it'll get to a supreme court decision or some sort of court issue and if the court is remotely rational they'll be like uh these people don't have anybody's money you know so you can't apply this right you know people are going to fight that so but yeah we're, i think we're gonna we're gonna go through a through a very interesting sort of uh let's say tension with the system as, as Bitcoin gets integrated into it and, you know, we scale up into society. So, um, yeah, super interesting. I, w- I want to go into like, finish up the conversation with some discussion about like lightning consensus, you know, and I think there's some important questions to touch there. Uh, but any, 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 uh, final thoughts on that, on the, this topic we're just, uh, just on. Uh, I think Evan got kicked to listener. Oh, okay. Maybe Rob can help us with that. Uh, get Evan back on. Let's um, see if I got the right. Yeah, I mean, I don't here. know. Like, there, there's a lot of weird things. Uh, I'm not going to pretend I know the regulatory landscape. I'm, I'm but a humble protocol engineer. Uh, I just make it so that, <laughs> you know, we're less uh, susceptible to regulations mattering. Um, trying to make <laughs> money as close to speech as possible. Um, so. If right. we at all care about free speech right. in the world and, you know, in the country I live in, which is America, like, hopefully uh, we should be able to, like, 
retain some financial freedom as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, Rob, maybe you can uh, check on Evans. I think he his phone probably um, disconnected. Okay, you're working on it. Good, uh, Evan. If you if 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 you can't get back in, just close the app and open it back up and and jump back in, and we'll we'll get you on. Um, Kiggs, uh, it, it, it's great to have you here. Let's talk about Lightning consensus a little bit because it's it's a little bit different than how Bitcoin consensus works, right? Very With Bitcoin so. consensus, it's basically really difficult to change and every once in a while there's something about like a flag and people you know update their notes and something happens right but yeah but for the most part it's very static right but in the lightning world it seems like there's basically three major lightning four. development houses four. and four okay and then like i guess two out of three or two out of four integrate something it becomes standard like how does that work uh yeah. Um, in the lightning world. So in the lightning world, uh, the standards are, I would describe them as descriptive, not prescriptive, right? So when something becomes a standard in the lightning network, it's not that like all the nodes have to implement it. In fact, no, nobody has to do anything that they don't want to do. Um, however, when, when two different, so the, the four different implementations are L and D, which is that I work. Sorry, there's a, there's a lot of background noise there. I'm not sure yeah, what's going on. Like, uh, maybe give, me, can... give me a second. I'll, I'll move. Yeah, no worries. Hey, guys, I'm back. So can you hear me? Okay, Evan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Evan, maybe you yeah, can I'll, take a I'll shot at this to, question. To take over. So uh, I think yeah. there's some sort of rough consensus, uh, at least in the early days of Lightning, where the implementations would say, hey, uh, for something to become part of the spec, quote unquote, we're going to have at least two implementations, fully code it, ship it, put it out the door, and we'll consider it part of the spec. But uh, there's a little bit of nuance to it because Lightning works on a completely different level uh, than the base chain, right? We need to have some level of consensus on what rules we're going to follow when, you know, mining blocks and, you know, processing these transactions on Bitcoin. Uh, but when it comes to lightning, you don't need to have consensus at all. All you need to do is have two counterparties uh, agree to certain conditions by which they will, uh, you know, route across a channel and uh, settle up when necessary. Uh, and, you know, that's why we can have stuff like those virtual unbacked lightning channels we were talking about. As long as you and your counterparty agree to the claims, you don't have to reach consensus with the rest of the network. So there is a bit of like, uh, you know, rough understanding amongst the lightning protocol uh, implementations that, you know, to count it as sort of the spec, but it's like not a hard and fast rule. And I think that's really going to come to the edges uh, next year, especially as we see uh, people implement stuff like bolt 12 to different extents and, um, you know, I, th- I think, unfortunately, there's going to be a little bit of network fragmentation. Um, but, th- you know, I think that's going to be okay to a certain extent. Um, you know, it, it's just a basically chain of parties that agree to each other and they'll help route each other's transactions. Um, you know, I, I hope it doesn't degrade the user experience and I, I hope some common ground can be found. And I'm optimistic the best solutions will come to the forefront. Um but uh, yeah, it's, it's not really a, a hard rule, at least from my understanding. Maybe, yeah, it, it's definitely uh, maybe not a hard rule. Yeah. 
Um, it's that, yeah, so it's if there are two implementations that ship a particular feature and they have interop between them, that's the other key. It's like, yeah, interop. Yeah, like basically, uh, so the, the, the four implementations are LND, uh, C Lightning, Eclair, and uh, LDK. And uh, if there's interop between any two of them and they've like fully coded whatever the draft spec is, then it goes into the main uh, repo. So, mm-hmm. um, that just means that, like, you know, it doesn't mean, though, that, like, your your implementation will support the feature th- that uh, is needed. Um, so... Do we have any good examples yeah, okay. we can point people to, Keegs, for, like, a feature that might be supported by two, but isn't widely supported yet? The rest. Um, I would say splicing at the moment is, I think, it's, like, mm. kind of experimentally supported in both Sea Lightning and Eclair. They do it in slightly different ways, though, which is why splicing isn't part of, like, the actual spec yet. Um, but, like, we're pretty close to interop between those. There's also... We're also pretty close to interop on taproot channels between LND and LDK. Um, nice. So... Okay. Yeah. The consequence... And, and Claire... Go ahead. Go, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, I just to speak to what Evan was saying, is, like, the consequence of this is that you will get more network fragmentation. And that's actually, like, it's, that sounds like a bad thing because a lot of times we think of network fragmentation as we're taking this fixed size network and, like, breaking it up. But <laughs> that's not actually what's happening. It's that yeah, yeah. the network is growing. It, it, the fragmentation allows the network to grow at different rates and not stifle growth, right? The problem we have with Bitcoin consensus Correct. is that one person wants to do something and they have to convince the entire rest of the network that this is a good idea before any progress happens. And what happens in Lightning instead is that if you think something's a good idea, you can just kind of go ahead and do it. And if you can convince other people to do it, then they'll do it with you and then more things work. So you end up getting a network that grows at a faster rate, but it grows unreliably. Whereas like in Bitcoin, it grows at a really sluggish rate. But like, you know, for the most part, when it does grow, it's like everything kind of works the the moment that things get turned on. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's good. That's like one of the big, um, let's say, concerns or critiques that people have of Bitcoin. It's like, oh, it just doesn't move. Nothing ever happens in Bitcoin. It's very slow to upgrade. But in Lightning, things are actually more agile. So we're getting... We're getting that benefit uh, with the security of the of the of the base layers. So, um, sounds like a good thing. Um, can you can you guys give me uh, or give us like a little bit of a, an overview, like basic facts about the these sort of four development houses, right? So, Eclair is behind Phoenix, and I think they're French. Uh, yeah, so I'm guessing they're uh, the company that France, runs it is right? called Asan, or like if you pronounce it in French, it's A C I N Q. They also just have the biggest node on the, the biggest public node on the network or labs, monstrous labs. node. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it's like async, <laughs> async payments. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they basically have okay. like a full stack top to bottom. And I think, uh, you know, Eclair is definitely more uh, specialized software. Uh, if you talk to developers in their house, like T-Boss, they'll say, Hey, this is, basically built to power Phoenix where you're not intending this to be general use software for everyone to run on their Raspi or whatever. But the end result is like an incredible user experience and they get to do really cutting edge stuff like splicing. And uh, yeah, I I think it speaks for itself. Phoenix is a great wallet. Yeah. Right. So so that's really what a Claire is for. Um, 
then you've got Sea Lightning, which is run by, is like a, a project primarily sponsored. I guess it's called Core Lightning now. Uh, it's Lightning forever <laughs> in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, it's run by Blockstream. Uh, the guy who so and there's like kind of like one major person at each of these organizations that kind of spearheads the development. Um, and so at, uh, at for Eclair, it's T Bast um, Bastian Tianturier, I think is his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, at uh, Core Lightning, it's Rusty Russell um, at Blockstream. Um, yeah, Rusty is like a is, Rusty is like a Linux legend. Like he put stuff together, like uh, IP tables. He, he right? wrote IP tables. Yeah, Jeez. no, the guys the, like the internet. Like it, it works in no small part due to like his career <laughs> efforts. So like he's he's very very good. Yeah, like um, Linus is uh, foot soldiers now helping us advanced bitcoin and payments so we're really grateful to have him and they do a lot of amazing work at core lightning yeah and and rusty's That's actually responsible no like wow. to, to give rusty even more credit than that it's like rusty is responsible for the entire spec process in lightning itself right mm-hmm. so the reason that we have these four different development houses that can all kind of coordinate and and make progress uh in like kind of somewhat independently of each other but still like kind of converge on some design that works interoperably is in no small part due to rusty's like sort of uh leadership in like making it a more decentralized development process mm-hmm. that's um, amazing you got matt corallo over at ldk at spiral um and yes and then uh lalu uh at like uh, lightning labs for lnd which is what i work Okay, Although so I'm kind of taking, I'm, I'm taking over some of some of the, like I I work with Lalo a lot now, um, so that he doesn't have to do as much on the the spec side. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so hold on, so uh, LDK Spiral. That's um, who like I I don't even heard I have heard about those. I I've heard of Matt Corello, but yes. is Spiral isn't Spiral related to like um, Square? Jack Dorsey. Yes, uh, that's right. Okay. So, yeah, I'd say LDK, a.k.a. Rust Lightning, is actually probably the most unique out of them. It's more of like a modular uh, set of tools to help you build a Lightning wallet from scratch. Uh, they recently It's more released... modular in theory than in practice. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it does... But one of the things that it is, not, it is it's certainly more modular than any of the other implementations, hands down. Um, yeah. But it's like, it's mostly, what's nice about it being in Rust is that it more easily translates to a number of different like runtime environments. Whereas like LND is like really tailored to being running on like a uh, virtual private server type infrastructure. It's a mm-hmm. lot easier to run LDK like in a mobile environment. Yeah, for sure. Mm. okay so okay so that's and that's on in rust the, the rust language which is apparently very popular right it seems like it's very very efficient language much more modern than let's say obviously C++ or would Python. we say efficient keegan oh well, it's 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 uh, memory safe which means it's not going to crash yeah. because of some mm. misuse of memory so it has some safety assurances mm. when it's running and that is really that's a huge huge um sell on it and, and it's quite performant as well it's very performant that's cool that's right that's cool okay so that's that's ldk 
Um, and then and then there's L and D, which is kind of it, like I thought it was the the, the first one or the, the big development house that kind of pioneered lighting, right? Or uh, uh, yes, it is. Like in terms yeah. of okay, like some some hard stats, L and D runs about eighty percent of the lighting network right now. Whew. That's kind of okay. Bad. okay. Um, and so L and D is far and away the most popular running implementation. Uh, and that, but like, you know, to say that it pioneered it, it's like, it did pioneer it in some sense, but like, you know, uh, the spec process, like I said, is like was set out by core lightning and then like Phoenix is what, right. you know, despite the fact that L and D is the most popular implementation on the lightning network, it, it is also true that like Phoenix is one of the best UX wallets. And that, like, if you're an end user trying to use, uh, um, just like lightning in a very easy, intuitive way. Like it's, it's a very good choice if you have an Android phone, but, um, yeah, mm-hmm. L and D still runs most of it. Um, gotcha. okay. Okay. Awesome. So that's, that's an awesome overview. Um, now let me, let's put this, this sort of conversation to the test here. So all 12 has been something that I've been hearing about for years, like two, at least two years. Uh, it seems like it solves some of the privacy issues. It seems like it solves some of this, uh, you know, like it serves the demand for static invoices, right? Um, why has it taken so long for it to kind of get adopted? What's what's the pull and tug situation there? Um, I don't know. <laughs> and, and, and what other features would you guys like to see? But maybe that's a follow-up question. Uh, okay. Sure. I mean, first of all, the Bolt 12 is going to be a big question to sort of decipher i think it's largely just because of the scale the ambition of bolt 12 and i think that's led to you know part of the reason it's taken so long um you know while some people might take like piecemeal approaches to how we upgrade parts of the lightning network let's say gossip is very much being done um step by step uh bolt 12 is really like a lot of different moving parts that are sort of all put together so there's this element of Blinded Paths, where we were talking about receiver-side privacy, which is a fantastic element of it. Uh, There is an element of sort of these offers or recurring payments. So Juan, you were talking earlier about, oh, it's really annoying when I create an invoice and it expires. Well, Bolt 12 helps uh, solve the issue of being able to generate new invoices from a single offer. Um, And then there's the element of uh, the onion messages, which is the most controversial part in which... uh, you'll be able to use this for messaging across the network in order to fetch those invoices when they're requested from the offers. Um, so there's actually a whole lot of moving parts. And those offers can also be used in stuff like subscriptions, uh, where you can make these recurring payments for services. And there's also a lot of complexity in that too. Um, so I think that it, it's sort of multifaceted. It's the scale, how much functionality there is in there. Uh, some of the controversy over the onion messages and how that's going to work. It's also been the different development efforts and how different houses have been sort of prioritizing uh, different initiatives. That's been uh, a big part of it. But then there's also been some disputes over the spec and it hasn't been a hundred percent finalized. This all being said, I think that bolt 12 is really close to being shipped on a lot of these different implementations I believe it's well underway uh, at with the Eclair. I think they're quite close. Core Lightning has had an experimental version of it for uh, 
maybe close to two years now, Keeks. I, I know back in May of like yes, twenty two. I, I don't know exactly what the time we messing is. with it. Yeah, it's been crazy. Um, LDK is is almost done implementing it, and LND has not been working on it. But we have an external party that's been working on it in this hybrid LND LDK binary called LNDK, I believe. That Carla Kirk Cohen's been working on. Got it. Right. So how does that work? Uh, let's say three out of the out of the four development houses implement uh, Bolt twelve, but LND doesn't. How would that How would that work? I mean, it goes into the spec. Like that's that's the thing is that just okay. because. So so this is what I mean by the spec is descriptive, not prescriptive. Just mm-hmm. it. Uh, I don't think regular users should really care about the status of the spec. To be honest, like it does it. I, you're not going to get a great intuition from just being like, oh, well, Bolt 12 just got merged into the main lightning spec. You know, like, let's declare victory and celebrate. It's like, <laughs> yes, you can, but like, just recognize there's like a ton more nuance that goes into it. Um, what it just means is that that means that if new lightning implementations want to take a look, it's like, okay, this is like prioritized because there's interop with at least two other implementations now that we get if this is part of the main right. spec versus something that's experimental. Um, at the end of the day, all of these development houses, they prioritize their own work. And, you know, some like, I don't think this is going to be the case, but it's like, you know, if something could be implemented by all three of the other ones. And the, like the fourth one might just choose to never do it because they don't see the value. And so is that likely? Probably not. Because if like three implementation houses are, are doing something, then there's probably value. But mm-hmm. it's just not guaranteed. And it's not right. guaranteed on any particular timeline, for sure. Like, you know, Bolt 12 relies on Onion Messages, which I believe is already merged into the main spec. Um, and Onion Messages, there's like a, there, there, there are UX questions about it, about like, because the way it's written right now is that um, rate limiting. So, so like, well, Onion Messages are not incentive compatible, which means that, like, there's no cost to sending Onion Messages throughout the network. So you could feasibly, like, conduct a denial of service attack this way. The problem is, and so, like, you know, as a result, the spec recommends that uh, nodes, when they implement Onion Messaging, they should uh, choose to rate limit at a policy they deem to be fit. Well, what's the consequence of that? It's like, well, that means that in order to fetch Bolt 12 invoices from the, the endpoint node like we don't know whether or not if the packets got dropped or whether or not like we they even received our request for the bolt 12 invoice like it's so even if we get to a point where bolt 12 is broadly deployed we might still see ux issues where like you know invoice fetching just fails an, an amount of the time or if like someone's attacking the network that all of a sudden bolt 12 just kind of degrades in a way that like uh it wouldn't otherwise. Maybe that's not a problem in practice. Maybe it is. Who knows? Like, so there's just like, there's a, my, my, I'm kind of, this is the cutest way of me saying it's like, there's a long road ahead of us, even on Bolt 12, even if mm-hmm. things start getting implemented. Like, just because it's implemented doesn't mean it works well. Mm-hmm. Just because the spec is right. written in the, uh, it like, doesn't mean the code's written. Just because the code is written doesn't mean that it works. Um, and just because it works doesn't mean that like the UX around it has is like intuitive enough for people to use. Okay, but even I mean, and, and again, so there's this sort of L and DK in, in you know off 
like say off-band integration being developed that maybe gets integrated at some point. Um, but even if LND didn't integrate Bolt, Bolt 12 or you know what in you know whatever other feature, right? Let's say Bolt 12, um, those invoices would still be able to route around LND. Is that how it works, or yeah. you know they'd be somehow compatible? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, people are routing these Bolt 12 offer payments basically on the network today. So. Um, oh, yeah. You know, not every client is fetching up the invoices using the onion messages. Uh, but as long as a user is able to, you know, get one set of nodes or one path of nodes to forward these pay- these requests to them through the onion messages, then everything can function. Um, you know, there's no change required on the routing side. It's not like a PTLC uh, level change. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think this is just like a great example of how things are going to fragment, but largely the user experience is going to, you know, continue on for people who want to do things in different ways. Uh, it really just speaks to the resilience of the Lightning Network and a lot of the perks of, of how it's designed. Um, so it's going to be yeah. really fascinating. Obviously, there's a lot of room for things to break, and we really haven't pushed things to the edges yet. Uh, obviously, things are going to look different if onion messages are widely deployed uh, versus the state they're in now. Um, but, you know, a lot of these things we really need to try and widely deploy to know how they're going to behave. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it, it's very hard to simulate a live environment with all these incentives uh, in any sort of test bed. You know, some of the things it's are not just hard. Sim- it's impossible. <laughs> yeah, it is impossible. There's just too many factors, right? And um, like that's yeah, what economists I, try to do when they make predictions is that they're trying to simulate a live environment with incentives and then trying to make <laughs> predictions about it. You can't, right? Like the whole yeah, reason yeah, we yeah. have Bitcoin is because we've already called bullshit on it, which is fine. Like it just means yeah, that like yeah. sometimes you need to test on mainnet and that's just how it goes. Yeah, and it's fine. And listen, some some new upgrades to Bitcoin or rather to Lightning will fail, and that's fine. Uh, because it's not going to break the entire network because some nodes are going to ease into implementing it. And uh, as others see success that others are having, it'll grow slowly like that. And the ideas that have issues that, you know, either node operators or services or end user wallets are having issues with, or, you know, users don't demand uh, the features of, then those are going to go to the wayside. Right. So uh, the lightning network is very much this, live dynamic system that is going to continue to evolve. Uh, and, you know, it's not going to be a linear thing. Progress is going to happen at different rates. Things are going to be attempted. Some things will fail. Some things will succeed. And it's just amazing that we have the liberty to do so. You know, when we make a decision to change Bitcoin on the base layer, we we need it to succeed so much more like there's there's zero room for failure on layer one basically right l2 we have so much more flexibility and i think it's a really beautiful sort of dichotomy between the move slow and make sure everything is solid on l1 versus the move fast break shit innovate on l2 and uh you know layers is the key to to success here Love it. Love it. Yeah. And I, I, I love to see that you guys are pushing the, the boundaries. I think that, again, there's going to be some some very interesting innovation and, and, and sort of shake out uh, going forward. Um, real quick, uh, 
what what what's the upside of bowl 12 what are the what are the key benefits at least that you guys see with it oh man i mean listen uh blinded paths receiver side privacy amazing uh being able to do um you know recurring payments or subscriptions that's amazing too um being able to easily fetch many payments without necessarily using an http server like with lightning address today also amazing uh, you know, these are all generally great features that I think will make a better user experience wow. for the end user. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, assessing, you know, how the network is going to behave, the cost of the onion messages. Um, but I think by and large, a lot of these elements are going to end up being parts of the normal lightning user experience. Uh, you know, we just need to figure out some of the edge cases and in a lot of cases, just, you know, deploy it and, and see how things work and, uh, you know, where it hits those, uh, those rails, uh, you know, that's, so that's huge. I'll also so, say so, that- so receiver privacy and, 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 uh, subscription payments. So like a normal, like, like a Netflix subscription type uh, of Potentially. Thing? Yeah. This could potentially be the mechanism in which subscriptions well, I mean, it's, it's about repeatable repeatability, similar to like lightning address stuff. It's like a, it's about static address addressability, right? Yeah. The, I also like want to point out that while Bolt 12 does offer receiver privacy, uh, it's like we also have route blinding that's coming down, which is separate from Bolt 12, which also offers the same amount of receiver privacy. So it's like these properties are not only achievable with any one of these techniques. Um, it's just that, yeah, as things are right now, we don't have any of those things, and Bolt 12 does offer those things. Gotcha. Cool. Okay. Okay. So, so blinded, blinded routes. Um, awesome. Okay. Well, listen, we've had a great conversation. We're running into the, the end of the second hour. Um, let me, let me finish off our conversation with one question. What, what are, I mean, beyond what we've talked about, what are the, let's say consensus changes in lightning or on chain that you guys think we need next? Like what is, you know, it, there's a lot of talk about covenants. There's a lot of discussions around like how to scale UTXOs, right? Like be able to abstract UTXOs. Wh- what do you guys think is the next upgrade to Bitcoin, be it on chain or lightning that, that really needs to get pushed in advance and that maybe we're a little bit far behind on? Oh, gosh. Um, you're saying consensus change <laughs> specifically or just change to core? Well, I mean... Yeah, let's say let, let's talk about core. Uh, but if you have anything on the lightning front, I'd like to hear it too. Uh, sorry, because I, I mean, there there's parts of or Bitcoin like, core that are not related to consensus. Right. So well, you know what? Whatever, whatever you think is important, whatever's a top of the mind for you, uh, yeah. consensus or not. By the way, Evan got kicked again, um, but I will answer this in the meantime. The yeah. the far and away the most important thing. Like if you guys want to start talking about it and start like lobbying whoever Bitcoin lately people, I mean, Bitcoin core already knows they need to do this, but um, package relay and V3 transaction stuff is like super important for like package relay yesterday, man. You know how stressful yeah, it is being an LSB <laughs> operator without a package relay. Yeah. Oh God. Now that's not a consensus issue. It's a peer to peer issue, and but it is, it, it cannot be solved at the lightning layer. It has to be solved in core. Um, and what this really is, is just the fact that like right now, in order for lightning to work, it relies on your transactions being relayed in a timely manner, which requires them to like 
uh, relay transactions that have like sufficient fees. But right now, Core is like kind of stupider than it should be about how it relays transactions. And it doesn't consider, uh, like right now, you guys have probably heard of child pays for parent when it comes to like transactions that like, if you have two transactions, one that spends another one that if you consider them both together, then the aggregate fee is like very, very high fee rate, even if you only consider the the, um, the, the parent one as like a pretty low fee rate. The problem is, is that while the miners know how to do this calculation, the intermediate nodes that actually relay transactions do not. They only consider transactions in isolation. So the problem is with child's pays for parent is that if you, like, you have to relay one transaction at a time. And so the nodes that you broadcast your transaction to, they'll look at the transaction and be like, this is stupidly low fee rate. Fuck you. I'm not doing this. And then if you try to relay the child, then they're like, well, we don't know what the parent transaction for this because we already forgot about it. And so, like, what you would like to be able to do is submit both transactions at the same time. It's like, please consider these as a package. And then the, the, a node would be like, oh, yeah, the fee rate for this package is good enough for me to relay. Let me go ahead and do that. Right now, because we don't do that, there's, like, all sorts of, like, actual security problems that kind of happen in Lightning as a result. And this doesn't require a consensus change to get fixed. That's amazing. Okay, so that that's called... Um... Relay, what, 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 what would that it's be called? Package uh, relay. Yeah. Packet package relay. Okay. Yeah, that's probably number one for me. Cool. Um, Sounds pretty important. Um, so, so where, where's, where are we at with that upgrade? What's, you know, is there a conversation in Sidecore about yeah, that? Yeah. It, it's being implemented it? right now, but it's just like not done yet. Let me, let me look. Gloria is working on it. Shout out Glozo. She's amazing. We're grateful to have her. Yeah, is she, she's from Unchained, I think, or which uh, which house is that? Which development house? Uh, I think Chaincode. Yeah, Chaincode Labs. In New Chain York. Code. Okay, she's working on it. That's awesome. Yeah, she's amazing, and uh, she's done a lot of work on uh, a lot of the peer-to-peer stuff. Uh, so yeah, it's it's awesome to have her pushing forward on that, and you know, it's something we direly need. So that's definitely really high on my list. Uh, you know, probably one or two. And uh, yeah, I think beyond that, for me, it's like, okay, what other scaling mechanisms? Um, you know, obviously, in the state that we have now, we're not going to be able to onboard all 8 billion people on the planet onto Lightning into Lightning channels, or let alone have, you know, uh, custody of a single UTXO. Uh, and I personally am really fascinated by mechanisms by which multiple parties can sort of share a UTXO. Uh, you know, how do you turn. Uh, what's virtually uh, land ownership into like a, a trust of sorts. Um, so stuff like covenants are particularly interesting to me. And I think the path forward, and I think that we have some rough consensus that that's the way to go. And a lot of the discussion now is okay. Uh, which mechanisms are best to deploy? Uh, do we lean towards being more conservative with our functionality to make sure nothing breaks or do we let things be a little more liberal to make sure that we have the flexibility to do all the things that we want? And uh, yeah, the, the discussions have been quite good as of late, um, at least amongst developers. Uh, I just think that uh, the focus really has to shift from the rest of the community to get it over the line. But I think those initiatives will really kickstart once there's a little more consensus about how we're going to do covenants. Uh, so hopefully we get there right. soon, and I'm really looking forward to 
some progress being made and, and more champions of the cause to step forward in 2024. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll second that. Like co- covenants are super important. Uh, they how we I, how we do them, I care a lot less about. I mean, I'm on the record for endorsing CTV, but if we don't do CTV and do something else instead, I'm not going to be mad. Yeah, um, I am going to be mad if we don't do covenants at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah it would suck and uh you know i i don't really know if anything is even really comparable to get us to that functionality that we have um it's it's been really funny looking back on you know previous pushes uh from people like jeremy rubin and ctv and uh, a lot of yeah. the concerns that i would say the community had back then i'd say a lot of the understanding and the concerns were really ill-founded And I think it just, you know, was a matter of time, people being able to wrap their heads around such a complex uh, concept. Um, People Mm -hmm. like James O'Byrne moving stuff like OpVault and illustrating a really great use for covenants there. Uh, I definitely think that uh, the general feeling in the room has shifted and, uh, you know, God willing, we Mm -hmm. will have some form of consensus to get this over the line somewhat Mm -hmm. soon. Yeah, J- Jeremy took a lot of arrows for it, but I think um, he he got the conversation on the table, and I think he he deserves a lot of credit yeah, for that. Absolutely, uh, as well as developing uh, CTV and stuff. Jeremy so, is there any one, any specific? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah sure. we all had to catch up to his big brain. So, um, seriously, no, honestly, like I, I I think I said this on Twitter the other day. It's like you know, I feel like I'm a pretty sharp guy. I, like work on some pretty technical stuff. When I worked with Jeremy, like because I I did work with him for about a period of six months, uh, like pretty much every day. Man, like he he made me feel dumb, and it's not because he was a dick. He's like a really really nice guy, but like man, he was just really fast. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I hope he sticks around, and I hope he, uh, you know, yeah, I think we owe him some some uh, some credit and, and appreciation for that. Uh, Evan, is there any particular CTV or sorry, covenant implementation you you prefer? I'm leaning towards CTV, um, you know, and uh, getting OpVault in there just to make sure that it's more easy for you know all sorts of people to more easily uh, self custody their Bitcoin and essentially have these escape. Uh, hatches when things go awry. Um, but, you know, I am definitely not w- as well versed as some protocol devs on the issue. So I'm definitely open to hearing some other arguments. All I know is that it is going to be imperative to have covenants to essentially have self custody for uh, the masses. And it's not going to be the only step in it, uh, but I think it's going to be a critical one. So I'm going to be championing it. I'm going to be diving in more. I'm going to be seeing what I can do to help progress it forward. And I'm very much uh, been grateful for all the conversation around it this year and looking forward to it uh, increasing in 2024. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, gentlemen, for joining us today. I think that was a, a really great conversation. Um, every time I want to do one of these shows, I learn a lot, a lot of stuff. We had a we had a big sort of mining pool and mining oriented sort of deep dive like this one last week. So you're gonna we're gonna be publishing that very soon on Huangout.com in podcast form. And um and uh yeah, so you know, check out uh, follow Keeks, follow Evan, uh check out Seuss, and uh, I got one last shout out for Beaver Bitcoin real quick for my my fellow Canadians out there. Uh if you're ready to stack some sats. 
if you're sold on lighting sort of future and potential uh if you wanna you wanna get ready to uh to for this bull market i mean boy we're 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 starting to tear a hole into into the stratosphere here and um i think uh i think it's there's no doubt we're into the bull market right now so if you want to stack some bitcoin if you're in canada Hey, Beaver Bitcoins, Canada's most user-friendly Bitcoin on-ramp. You can buy Bitcoin instantly, set up reoccurring purchases directly from your bank account, and withdraw it directly to your self-custodial uh, wallet. So that's, uh, you know, you keep it within your control. It's built by Bitcoiners, for Bitcoiners, and it's easy enough that you can recommend it to your family and friends. So, yes, if you're a Canadian, sign up to beaverbitcoin.com. And, uh, yeah, catch you guys uh, soon. Uh, follow bitcoin news uh, any any f- final thoughts keeks and even before we we close up the show uh i would just say um bitcoin works because we make it work and so uh it's sort of like what is it ask not what bitcoin can do for you ask what you can do for bitcoin sort of thing like uh i think more people i think people could be more helpful than they realize uh not just on the technical front but just mm-hmm in general, like trying to figure out how they can help make it happen. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I think this is a theme that we hit on throughout the show. Uh, individual action is imperative and, uh, being able to do things as an individual can have ripple effects, fostering those local communities can have bigger effects than that even. And, uh, you know, progress it's all going to be incremental. So one step at a time. Uh, I don't think the work of building out Bitcoin is ever going to be finished. Uh, it's such a complex system. Um, but, you know, end of the day, it's just humans uh, just collaborating uh, voluntarily and, and building out, you know, our future financial system. So just want to thank BitcoinNews.com. Uh, for having us. Uh, Thank you so much, Juan, for being a great moderator and having great questions. Uh, Keegs, you crushed it. Thank you so much for coming on. This was a really pleasant surprise. It's always a pleasure chatting with you, my friend. And yeah, Yeah, um, check us out over at Zeus. Glad I saw this happening. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's amazing. And uh, yeah, we're going to continue to build out the best self-custodial lightning experience. Uh, come check it out. Give us feedback. Maybe you come join us and uh, submit some PRs or even some issues. Uh, or maybe you just tell a friend about it after having a great experience. Every little action helps. Uh, so thank you all and uh, catch you some other time. Awesome. Thank you, guys. You guys are awesome. Keep up the good work. And uh, Rob, uh, how, how was that conversation? What do you think? mind equals blown dude that was (laughs) that was great that was really awesome um super technical but i mean i think you just need to get exposed to this stuff you know and then you pick up on little bits and pieces and as conversations you get exposed to more of them you get a wider and wider understanding of it all but that was great absolutely absolutely all right well thanks everybody for joining us um we do this every week uh, and we publish uh, the podcast online. So just look up the Juan Galt show uh, or subscribe via email. And uh, yeah, follow Bitcoin News and uh, you'll be able to catch the next one. Perfect. I yeah. Guess. Cheers, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. And we'll see you next week with the next edition of the Juan Galt show. Have a good weekend. Bye bye. <laughs>